In just a few moments, we'll read Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 35, and continue our conversation about specifically how we can gain confidence in positively engaging those in our spheres of influence who have in one way or another disconnected from a local community of Christ followers their relationship with God or their belief in God altogether. And I don't know about you, but I know people in my spheres of influence who over the past couple years have either disconnected with the local church, disconnected with their relationship with God. They've stopped you know, they might believe in God, but they've stopped praying, they stopped reading their Bible, they stopped, you know, having spiritual conversations, or maybe you even know people in your spheres of influence who have left the faith altogether. And today, we're going to continue these discussions on how to positively engage in conversation with those who have left the church or faith. And today, we're going to be talking about, specifically, how do you help people who've experienced church hurt. It's a real popular phrase that we, we, that's going on, going around a lot, but this idea of church hurt. How do you help people who've experienced church hurt? And when I say positively, I mean, how can we help people navigate the reasons that they have left the church because of church hurt and help them gain a more Christ-like perspective on how to heal Because church hurt needs healing. And so how can we help them find healing from the church hurt they've experienced and then lead them into a restored relationship with God as well as repurpose rhythms with the local fellowship believers? Because here, listen, I have not met anyone who has had deep church hurt that can say with integrity that their relationship with God has not been affected. And and maybe there are people out there who can say like, oh, my relationship with God is good. But most people, most people that I know have experienced not only hurt from the church, but it leaves them with incredible amount of questions and doubt regarding the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and whether or not God is real at all. So let's read our passage for today and then we'll dive in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15. I'm just going to read this and then we'll pray. It says this, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, we'll tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? And I think, I think Peter here feels like he's being like impressive. Like, 
surely I'm going to say a number and Jesus is going to be like, well, no, 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 no. That's a lot. (laughs) But as soon as we'll find out, he's wrong. Verse 23, for this reason, um, uh, 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 verse 22, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And that was just a, you know, oh, so seven, 70 times seven, which is what? 490? Is that, is that right? Huh? What is it? What is it? 49? 70 times seven? It's 490. You got to add the zero, right? So, so, oh, so we can, when we get to 491, Jesus, then, then we don't have to forgive. No, no, this is a phrase that literally, it's like this idea of like, okay, I get it. It's a, it's a colloquial phrase that basically means the opportunities to forgive will never outnumber the need and the requirement to forgive. Basically what it says here. And then Jesus goes on to say, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven, he gives a little parable so you can understand what he's trying to say. For the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he begun to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents, this is a form of money, was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Give me more time. Just don't sell my kids. Don't sell my family. Don't sell everything I have. If you do this to me, I will be spent. Give me some time. Then the master of that servant had compassion. (laughs) Released him and forgave him the loan. Now that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him And hugged him and say, you are forgiven, just as I have been forgiven. Right? Is that what it says? No, what does it say? He started choking him and said, pay what you owe. And at this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Sounds very familiar. That's what he said. But he wasn't willing Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owned. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brothers or sisters. From your hearts. 
Father in heaven, I pray that as we tackle this subject of church hurt, first of all, that you would give us a heart of love and compassion towards those in our spheres of influence who have experienced hurt from being part of a local fellowship. And I even pray today, Lord, if any of us are harboring residuals of church hurt that we are carrying even now into the relationships and circumstances of this church, I pray that you begin a healing process and that you'd help us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. You know, uh, ten years ago when we started this church, uh, we envisioned <laughs> that we would be the kind of church to help people disconnected from God find clarity on who Christ is. That was kind of our vision statement. And uh, if I was honest with you, I envisioned, I envisioned that that would look like a local church reaching lots of people that were far from God, be bought near to God. Like people who were completely disconnected from God, didn't believe in Jesus and and, and that still, that still is a vision of my heart that we would be that kind of church because the church is and exists for that reason so that people far from God can come close to him. But what I didn't realize over the last 10 years is that our church would also become a landing place for lots of people who experience church hurt. I'd like to tell you that the journey of helping people navigate their church hurt positively has been 100% successful (laughs) as we've seen multiple people um, come be part of our church and navigate through those different things, Uh, but that isn't the reality. There's still people that harbor Bitterness and pain because of hurt found in the church. But what I've learned over the last 10 years, and it's so great that I, <laughs> we, we've had our anniversary because I can, I feel like there's some things I could say that I really didn't feel like I had the permission to say, even though I probably did because God started this and he allowed me to be the pastor. So I should just always say like, this is how it should be. But now we've been doing this for 10 years and I've got 10 years of like experience by this. And I can say this with that, with certainty. Like now that we've been doing this for 10 years, now that I had the opportunity to come alongside people over these past 10 years, what I've learned is that there are actually ways to engage in conversation about church hurt that are actually helpful. And over the years, What I found most helpful is to take cues from Jesus and what he had to say about how we are to react when a follower of Jesus sins against us. Now, this isn't, I, some of you maybe might have listened to preachers preach on this passage before and you're going to go, Oh, I know what Phil's saying. He's going to tell us just to forgive, just to forgive, just to forgive people. And then I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. That is part of the process. But that's not what I want to focus on here. It's actually a macro level observation of what Jesus is teaching here. Not the micro. And what is that? 
Well, if I could sum it up real quick, it's something that you know, as a follower of Jesus, you know this, I know this, but sometimes we forget this. And it's this, that Christianity is not about following Christians. Right? What is it about? Christianity is about what? It's about following who? Jesus. Okay? Christianity is not about following Christians. So our hope is not based on other followers of Jesus. Our hope and connection to our heavenly father who is building a earthly family that will one day live in heaven with him and then come back on earth. We talk all the eschatological stuff on that, but he's basically building a family, right? So we, we place, we build our faith, not upon the people, but upon Jesus. So how do you, how do you get to this? Well, when it comes to interpreting Matthew chapter 18, some of you might have sat in our Bible studies. In fact, if you've ever been in conflict with other, another Christian, you might have heard them say, well, have you, have you, you know, I just take the Matthew 18 approach to conflict in my life. You probably, maybe you went to a, a marriage seminar. You had, it's like they, they talk about the Matthew 18 way to handle conflict. And honestly, there are a lot of opinions. There are surrounding how realistically helpful Jesus' commands are when it comes to being on the receiving end of a brother or a sister in Christ's sin, right? But what is not in dispute is the focus of what our attention should be on in the midst of conflict, in the midst of, for the purpose of what we're talking about today, church hurt. And the focus of this attention is actually on Jesus. And it's in this context that what this popular verse is actually talking about. And some of you, you might have not even known that this verse was here within a passage about how to handle conflict. Matthew eighteen twenty: For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. I mean, you've heard that verse before, right? You've heard that verse before, right? At, at, at its worst, this verse is often used in settings where people often want to feel like the gathering of at least two or three people validates it as some gathering of a church at its worst. People who go like, hey, I'm a believer, you're a believer. Hey, look, the church is here. Why? Because the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there God is. And God is with the church, right? And, you know, at its worst... People will try to (laughs) finagle this verse to work in that type of way. But this actually is not the case of how we interpret this passage of Scripture. Actually, more appropriately, this verse is about desiring Jesus to be the leader, to be sovereign and present in a very uncomfortable set of circumstances. Where two or three are gathered, there God is in the midst. Where two or three are gathered, when it comes to this conflict and the resolution of it and the hurt that's gone on and sin has gone on, guess what? God has not left this. Nothing is impossible where God is and he can help this. Okay, so this is kind of the situation and the context of this verse. Specifically, this is about a situation where one Christian has sinned against another and reconciliation is, is, is trying to be pursued. And I don't know if you've been part of situations of hurt or conflict with other people. 
You know, there's those situations where, you know, I forgot to put the toilet seat down. And I can just say, I'm sorry. And my honey, can, my, my wife, my honey, <laughs> my wife can be like, ah, ah, but we get over it, right? There's those reconciliation. There's that type of conflict that's easy to get over. But then there are those conflicts, right? Where it just feels like if God doesn't show up, I don't know if this will ever be resolved. This is what Jesus is alluding to. So this is not just the petty little, oh, he called me fat. He told me, you know, whatever. I don't know. This is a serious situation. So Jesus is saying, hey, when you need God to show up, guess what? Where two or three are gathered, God is there. Specifically on this idea of wanting God's wisdom and all this kind of stuff. But more on this topic of reconciliation in a second. For now, what I want us to consider is that the first helpful thing you and I can do to come alongside people in our lives who have left the church or faith because they've experienced some type of church hurt is to help them recapture a vision for who Jesus is. Okay, now, that sounds so Christianese. Really, Phil? (laughs) Is that what you're going with? The good old, just point them to Jesus, Phil? Yes, that's actually what I'm saying. What about the need to listen deeply to people's story? What about the commands of Jesus to seek reconciliation and choose forgiveness and grace? We kind of have these two polar opposites when it comes to this idea of church hurt. You have one people on one side that says, like, you can't just tell people forgive. You don't, it's not like, it's like, it's like telling someone who got bit by a dog and telling them to go back to, do- go back to the dog to get healing, right? So there's that one side of the argument. And then there's the other side of the argument. It's like, well, the Bible says you need to just forgive. You just need to forgive. And so you have these people who are like, they look like they're ignoring the reality of hurt. And then you have these other people who are just kind of like glorifying the reality of hurt. And as if though it was the landing place and it was the new identity for who you are. And then there's people over here that's like, they're so cold to the reality. To, to, you know, they, they think they're so scriptural. Oh, we're just follow the scripture, but they're not actually like displaying love and compassion. They're actually not being like Jesus. So how do you, how do you reconcile these two type of approaches when you come to talking to people who have church hurt? We'll get to all of that in a second, but the first helpful perspective to have when coming alongside someone with church hurt is to understand Like the problem of sin in our lives, the solution to the hurt in our lives ultimately is Jesus. I think it's really, really important for us who are coming alongside people first to recognize because we can often look at the problem of sin, right? People have problems of sin, and this is this is this is the problem of how the church in history has tried to solve the problem of sin and found themselves in legalism, right? Churches who like I want to be like Jesus, I want to be like him, and so what do we do? We embrace some type of rules and type of law. Just just don't do this, don't don't smoke, don't drink, don't hang out with those who do, right? We have all these rules and all these lists. And so you have a lot of people that look like Jesus, but they have no Jesus. And eventually that becomes 
a foundation that is more like shifting sands than a solid rock. So we have to recognize that just as the problem of sin requires a solution of Jesus, the problem of hurt, of church hurt, is found, the solution is found in Jesus. More specifically, who he is, his character and his promises, as well as his teachings. Now, there are a lot of ways of doing this. It does require a lot of listening. can't tell you how many late nights or cups of coffee I've had with people who just tell me about their church shirt. And before I, I don't listen, <laughs> I don't, they don't tell me they've been, you know, if I've been hurt by the church, I don't go right away. Well, you know, Jesus wants to heal that. <laughs> it's, it starts off like, well, tell me more about that. Yeah, that, that really, and then I try to understand whether that is, that is a given. It requires a lot of empathy, but at some point in the conversation, we have to point to Jesus. We have to. But you don't have to take my word for it in the words of LeVar Burton. Anyone remember reading Rainbow? You don't have to take my word for it. So listen to a person I actually met running the challenge conference for the Free Church lady named Jackie Hill Perry. Here's, uh, here's her testimony on church. So roll the film. So when speaking with people that have dealing with church hurt or those groups of people that have been hurt by a local church or members of a local church, um, I've dealt with it myself. I, when I came out of the church I was at for about two years, I was discipled in the church, etc. Um, I refused to join the church for a good year. I was just like, I don't trust leaders. I feel like everything they say to me is a lie. I barely trust Christians because I feel like they're just gonna always going to put their convictions and their opinions on me. And if I don't walk like they do, then I'm not godly and et cetera. Um, but I met, I linked up with a pastor in St. Louis who walked me through Ephesians and just was showing me like the purpose of the church why it's here, why it's necessary, and even God's heart for the church. And I think the one of the biggest motivating factors that helped me love the church again was seeing that Jesus loves the church, um, seeing that Jesus calls his church his bride. Like, what personal language to use, <laughs> you know, for... A group of people. So, and even how I need the church, how in Ephesians where it says, like, he said about prophets and evangelists and all these people to grow us up to maturity. It's like, man, how can I ask God, God, make me like you, but I refuse to put myself in the context in which he uses to make me like him. Um, where it's like, man, like these, these prophets or teachers or pastors they their their function is in a local body and that is how i get mature so if i love jesus and i want to look like him i need to put myself in the situation to grow um how do how do i walk out love if i'm not in situations where i'm challenged to love or hate you know um and i think even on the forgiveness factor uh i think god this is an opinion but i think god cares for us, desires for us to be healed, but I think he cares more about his glory. And that's hard to say, but I mean, like, I think some people that have been hurt use their pain as justification for hatred, which isn't right. 
um, Jesus was hurt. Isaiah 53 tells us he was hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like he was disrespected, but he chose to love us and still chooses to love us. So I think that's our challenge um, as believers who have been hurt is I choose to love the church of God despite their flaws um, because Jesus loves me. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you uh, may be familiar with Jackie Hill Perry and her story, but if not, then <laughs> you, you, re- you probably really don't capture the weight of her testimony just with this video. You, you, can, you can Google her. But, but, th- but her story is not actually the reason why I show this video. The reason why I show this video, the purpose of showing this video is to emphasize the point that the focus of our faith And the validity of it has always been built on Jesus and not Jesus' followers. Again, there is a need to demonstrate empathy. I don't want to sound like I'm ignoring that. In fact, Paul would encourage followers of Christ to do this in his letter to a church in Rome when he wrote, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is Christian conduct. This is a Christian value that we live out every day of our lives. And he probably built this theology out of a teaching from the Psalm that says this, the Lord hears his people when they call for him for help. He rescues them from their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed, right? Paul being a a student, an expert of the law himself, understood this. And so empathy is needed, listening is needed, having compassion is needed, but at some point the conversation must move from talking to people about their own story to engage their thoughts and emotion to God's story. I think this is really important encouragement because I, f- I find a lot of... When I talk with some Christians, I find that they, they get stuck. And they'll say things like, you know, I've been listening, I've been listening, I just, I don't know what to say next. Like it's, I, I feel like if I, if I, anything I say next is, is like, I'm not listening to them. And I actually, I tried once to like, well, you know, have you tried for again? And then like, they just like yelled at me and like, oh, you're not listening. And I, I don't know what to do. But the conversation has to move at some point from being all about their story and about engaging their thoughts and emotions to God's story and how that would inform their path forward in the face of church hurt. This is why Jesus follows his teaching about the need to reconcile with the brother or sister in Christ who sins against you with what many refer to as Jesus' parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. That was a story that Jesus told. As we read in this story, someone experiences great mercy for a debt that was owed, but does not allow the experience of mercy and forgiveness to inform the way they view the debt owed to them. So Phil, are you saying that we're just supposed to let those who have had left the church or faith, uh, you know, are we supposed to just tell them to suck it up and forgive? (laughs) I mean, because after all, Jesus extends forgiveness, and if you don't, God's going to treat you like that unforgiving. Like, is that what we should do? Is that what we should do? Listen. 
Actually, maybe maybe a way to uh, explain it is this: for as long as I've been, as long as I can remember, music has been a a huge, huge, huge part of my life. In fact, some of you know that I was a music major in college. And uh, with that said, uh, there there are many. If anything's musical at all, I don't know if you you catch this, but uh, there are many times I'll hear a performance of a what I know is a very awesome piece of music that is borderline offensive to the original composer of that piece, right? It, it'll be someone singing a song, and, and you kind of, it's so bad, you want to be like, hey, who sings that song? And they're like, oh, yeah, Whitney Houston. Well, why don't you go ahead and let her sing that, right? <laughs> kind of like, you know, so you, ever, you ever heard, maybe you're at the karaoke bar, and you hear, you're just like, oh my goodness, that used to be my favorite song. But now I don't know. Like, and as a musician who understands the true beauty of a musical compose, a composition, uh, as, as someone who understands that the beauty of a musical composition is not dependent on the ability of their performer, I don't judge the quality of a musical piece on poor performance. Instead, I judge it based on the integrity of the original composer's intent. I don't view the piece from my perspective in the moment, looking at the performer. I view it in light of what should be a perfect performance of the original author's composition. In other words, we don't tell people who've been affected by church hurt, look, you just got to understand that the church is full of imperfect people. And you just got to learn to let things go. Because that's not helpful either. What we must do... You see, it's not about concentrating on how bad the performance is. Like, oh, well, you know, you got to be... Oh, they're not a professional musician, you know, but the piece is really good. It's a really good piece. Or, you know, like, you know, you know, oh, they sang it in the wrong key. Or we don't, we don't concentrate on that. We concentrate on how good and how beautiful the original thing was. And what we must do to, to help people experiencing church church is help them understand just how beautiful again Jesus is and how his gospel is and how beautiful what it means to, em, to embrace Jesus and we have to point people to Jesus as they embrace the hurt they have felt and allow the truth about the grace and mercy of God, not willpower or self-help, to capture their heart and reform their perspectives of their own personal experiences. We have to allow people who have experienced church hurt to separate the source of their hurt from the character of God. They need to rediscover or be introduced for the first time to who God really is. And they need you. They need you to show them or remind them what the scripture teaches, right? What is it that the scripture teaches? Well, here's just a few things. What? God loves justice, mercy, and humility. Hey, I, I know, I know that's, I know that, I know that what you, what happened to you is absolutely wrong. But do you know God loves justice, loves mercy, loves humility? And did you know, I, I know you feel down in the dumps and you feel like, like, like faith is not for you anymore. But do you, do you, know what, you know what the scripture tells us about people who are just poor in spirit and those who are mourning? God chooses the poor in spirit and those who mourn. The humble, the brokenhearted, and especially the peacemakers. 
Do you know that? Do you know that? And I know it's hard to see that person still in leadership position in that church over there or this person over there and, and they're still, but listen, God opposes the proud and it's for the humble. I know that doesn't change it, but listen, this is who God is. That's not, God is not for that and, and it's not our job. Maybe in, in, we don't have the opportunity to, 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 to be part of, of, of bringing down the proud or whatever it is, but we have to concentrate on who God is. Do you believe that's who God is? Do you believe that God who is love shows up in the everyday rhythms of our lives as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? This is our God. Do you know Him? And then, and then we have to remind people of who Jesus is, Right? We have to show them that while Jesus gave his harshest words toward the religious who judged and criticized and oppressed and left people out, Jesus also drew near to those who were suffering. Jesus engaged the marginalized. He became an advocate to the woman caught in adultery as well as other marginalized peoples. And this means that Jesus desires to show up in the life of everyone who suffers and experiences hurt, especially from those within the church. And there is no excuse for when hurt is experienced within the context of a local gathering of Christians called a church. Church hurt is real, and it affects people. But listen, healing is also real. And it is extended to all people through Jesus. As the old bumper sticker says, no Jesus. <laughs> what? No peace. But guess what? If you what? No Jesus, you'll know peace. I hope that's helpful as you engage in conversations with people who've experienced church hurt. I, maybe I hope it's helpful for you, maybe even as you navigate your own church hurt. The focus that our eyes should be set on Jesus who is not only the author, the one who initiates, who instigates our faith, but he's the perfecter of it. I'm not going to perfect your faith. I hope the teaching helps. <laughs> I hope this local fellowship and being in community and all the work that we put to try to create spiritual I hope it's helpful. But if you think that I am going to be the perfecter of your faith, if you think these people here are going to be the perfecter of your faith, you are in for a world of disappointment. But Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so not only should you be pointing your lives towards him, but God is going to use you to point people to Jesus. Father, thank you so much for... Your word, which helps us navigate some of just the, the ugly realities about um, living in a world affected by sin. But I pray that you would help us to be overwhelmed with the reality of your character, your goodness. You, oh God, who is one, who is slow to anger, abounding in everlasting faithfulness and love commitment. You, oh Lord, help us to know you. 
And help us to communicate you and demonstrate you well to a world that is still being affected by sin. And I pray that by your grace and mercy, you would use our lives to help our friends who have left the faith, who have left the church. And let us be the ambassadors through whom you literally call out to the world, return to me. Give us the courage to engage with love, but also empowered the truth of the gospel so that we could see lives changed everywhere we go, every day we live. In your name I pray. Amen.